saints of our Lord and welcome to thy strong word as the great hymn proclaims thy strong word bespeaks us righteous bright with thine own holiness we gather this next hour around the gift of the holy scriptures and the word our Lord Jesus Christ who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and by his cross and his cross alone we are declared righteous on account of him thank you for tuning in this morning on worldwide KFUO Christ for you anytime anywhere I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today, we have the joy of studying the short epistle, Second John, with Pastor Bob Hiller from Community Lutheran Church in Escondido and San Marcos, California. Pastor Hiller, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Finnern. It's great to be here. Well, Pastor, um, as we all have a story, uh, we all are unique in our own situations. Um, and you work in the church, and our churches have a unique story as well. Can you tell us a few things about yourself and the ministry at Community Lutheran Church? Yeah, so uh, I've been a pastor now. Boy, Brady, we went to seminary together. How long have we been pastors? 14 and a half years? Is that right? It's 14, yes. Uh, 2006, we graduated. Yes, 2006. Wow. So we're like, man, we're like experts now. So uh, uh, there's a great Bob Dylan song where it says, I was so much older then and I'm younger than that now. Like, I feel way more ignorant about ministry now than I did when I became a pastor right out of seminary. It's really quite something. Um, so I've been a pastor for about 14 years. I did my first uh, call was in a place called Moorpark, California, at the beloved Faith Lutheran Church there, which is a wonderful congregation. And about four and a half years ago, I took a call to Community Lutheran in Escondido in San Marcos, California. We're a, we're a dual, not a dual parish as such. We would call ourselves a multi-site ministry. We have one congregation that meets in two locations, um, and it's just a wonderful congregation. We, uh, we're struggling through uh, this time of, of COVID that everyone's been dealing with right now, and uh, we've been doing great. I've been just thrilled that the saints here have just been remarkable and such a blessing to, to serve and work alongside. And so we're, things are going okay. Um, I'm involved with an organization called 1517 in some ways. I, I work on a, a, a website called The Craft of Preaching for the pastors out there. If you're looking for some preaching resources, we work with the lectionary every week and provide some really good resources for you in that way. And then I'm also on a uh, radio show called uh, You Are Forgiven Radio. Uh, my, my sermons are on there from time to time. So that's kind of some of the stuff I'm involved with and, and just loving ministry, loving life. I've got a beloved wife and three kids and uh, things are just going great. That's great to hear. I also noticed in your notes that you have been a lifelong Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders fan. Isn't that true? Listen, this is a Christian podcast, and that's a lie. Uh, it's a, a bold-faced lie. Oh, I must have uh, misread I'm a Broncos my notes. Fan. Uh, uh, Pastor Finnan, what you need to understand, I don't know. I, I understand that you like the, the New England Patriots or something like this, which also seems relatively evil. But the, uh, the thing is, I'm a Broncos fan, and we all know uh, that the Lord rides a white horse, and, and so... I feel like that's a rather sanctified mm, yeah. team to cheer for. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And John Elway will return someday. He will return. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> we'll move on from that. That's probably idolatry I just said there. Yeah, um, but today we uh, we praise the Lord. 
We praise the Lord for the work of you and the saints at Community Lutheran Church. But today we are um, going to be looking at the scriptures of 2 John. Um, and Pastor, as we look at that, can you begin us in prayer? Let's pray. Almighty God, you are gracious to give us your holy word and through it to show us the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that as we study uh, this letter of 2 John, uh, that our hearts would be confirmed in their faith, and our faith would be strengthened in your Son and in your promises. Thank you for our forgiveness and his salvation. It's his name we pray. Amen. Amen. A special thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. LHF distributes Bible-based, Christ-centered catechisms and children's books around the world to point people to Christ in their first language. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. So as we look at uh, 2 John, it's kind of unique because we're looking at 2 John right in the middle of the other Johns. And the question is, uh, can you give us a few uh, background um, look at this uh, author, background, context, relationship to other things that John's had, uh, books that John has written? You, you take in and run with it. What do you want to share with us this morning? Well, it's it's generally agreed upon uh, by most Bible believing scholars that that it's this the author of this letter is John the Apostle, uh, the son of Zebedee, the one. Uh, chosen by Jesus. He and his brother James were fishermen, and Jesus came and, and saw them on the water and called them to follow him, and they left their father in the boat, <laughs> much, I'm sure, to their father's chagrin, and, and they became a followers uh, of Jesus. Uh, there are some conservative Bible scholars who believe it's actually uh, another John who, who may have written these letters, uh, the three letters in the Gospel and then the book of Revelation. Um, but but that's not really a widely held view, and, and so I, I tend to not agree with it, though I can see some merit in the argument. Here, I think it's just pretty obvious that uh, this particular John was a follower of Jesus, a close follower of Jesus, and in fact, if we can connect, which we will here in a moment, this letter with First John, we'll see not only was he a close follower of Jesus, he was one who was with Jesus, who saw Jesus, who touched Jesus, who heard Jesus. Um, this, then, is uh, an eyewitness uh, of the Lord Himself, and so it's really quite a remarkable passage. We, in fact, uh, have, which, which this just kind of blows me away, we have uh, a couple of guys who wrote just about 20 years, we think, 20 to 30 years after these letters were written. Second uh, John, First John, Third John were, were likely written later in the first century, probably sometime between 85 and 95. Uh, within within 20 to 30 years, we have two guys, one by the name of Papias and the other by Polycarp, who are, who are literally quoting these books and claiming to have had encounters and sat at the feet uh, of the Apostle himself. So uh, it's a pretty well-attested-to letter uh, that we're looking at here. Uh, John, where he wrote, we, we believe, you know, you can never nail these things down, but it seems to be that he wrote these letters from a place called Ephesus, which we know from the book of Ephesians, which we know from the book of Acts. Paul spent a lot of time uh, in Ephesus as well, but it would seem that uh, John the Apostle carried out the majority of his ministry there. Now, for a while, he was exiled on an island called Patmos. Uh, the emperor Domitian was not a fan of John, tried to kill him. Uh, apparently, it didn't work, so they exiled him. Uh, he was there for a while. We believe he probably wrote Revelation on that island. Uh, and then uh, he, was come, he came back. After Domitian died, he was set free, and he came back probably to Ephesus from where he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd uh, uh, John. 
Um, he's writing to a church that's beset by false teachers and are struggling, like their, their pastor's been gone, there's a lot of people trying to fill the void. Uh, and so what John is doing here now uh, is he's trying to address a number of the issues that have arisen. Uh, what's very interesting to me, and this is something I learned while preparing for this study, uh, a lot of scholars suggest uh, that Second John is actually to be read as a cover letter for First John. So if you, if you take a look at these things, if you look at the way like Paul writes his letters, there's a certain structure. It's called an epistle uh, or a letter, and there's a particular structure they follow with an introduction and a greeting, and then the contents of the letter, and then there's a sort of a, a summary and a goodbye and all of these sorts of things. Um, John, First John doesn't have that. First John reads more like a sermon. Second uh, John, however, has all the, the, uh, the, the ingredients for a, an epistle letter. So some suggest that this is to be read at the beginning, and then as an introduction to First John, which is really the sermon John wishes he was preaching to his church. And then Third John comes along and is addressed to one particular gentleman uh, by the name of Gaius uh, to address a, another particular uh, gentleman named Diotrephes, who is a heretic. So uh, these three letters should be read together, though we have them in the order they're in because of length, longer first, shorter last. It probably should be read Second John, First John, uh, and Third John. So kind of some background stuff there that I find interesting, um, uh, and it kind of helps us as we get into the meat of the letter. Oh, absolutely. That is very helpful to think of where John was. is important. I mean, you think about Revelation, and if he's on the island, um, that just kind of sets a, a context to it that really puts you in a new place. Like, wow, he wrote that dream on an island, um, exiled. Now, I guess I never thought about this a lot, is that he was past that exile as he's reading as he's writing this and that gives a little bit more of a feel for when he writes some of these things that he he writes it almost as a a man free a man uh looking to one of the themes that we have in all of the books that he writes of love and truth light and dark i to me that just kind of gives a new personal touch to this letter that well i probably heard and uh maybe you told me one time but i had forgotten. So thank you for saying it once again. Any yeah, other thoughts on introduction? No, I think that's I think that's pretty good. It is an interesting point, though, if you read this letter kind of like in, in light of Revelation, especially at the beginning of Revelation, where you've got all the letters to the churches, and there it's, it's a lot more um, apocalyptic. The language is a lot more obscure and, and kind of scary. But nonetheless, you have very similar themes of uh, the Lord uh, saying to those churches, I see wonderful things happening there. I also see some very dangerous things happening there. Here's what you need to do to persevere. Uh, Second John is the exact same thing. There's a lot to rejoice in. There's a lot of danger. Uh, and here's how we're going to persevere. So very similar kind of patterns. All right. Well, let's dig into it. We'll do the first two verses of Second John. Once again, to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version. Second John, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Two interesting words here. First of all, he refers to himself as elder. Does he do this anywhere else, or what do you think that might mean? No, and in fact, this is really the only place where, where John... Uh, let's see. 
this is really the only place where John or any of the apostles is referred to as uh, an elder as such. Uh, and I think it's significant to note that he doesn't refer to himself as an elder, but as the elder, uh, which means he is known to the congregation there. He has this particular kind of authority with them. They know who it is that is addressing them. Some scholars suggest that uh, elder there simply means he is uh, an older authority, and so it's referring to his age, and, and that may well be, but I tend to think that this is John referencing his, his apostolic authority. Uh, that he, in a sense, is a is a, uh, a father to this congregation. He is an authority figure. And yes, at this point, he's probably the last living apostle. He's probably the oldest of the apostles at this point, because he's the only one alive. Uh, so uh, he has this sort of fatherly authority to speak over these people that he had received um, from Christ. And, and, and this authority uh, that he has actually comes directly from Christ, because he, as we mentioned, mentioned earlier, is uh, one of those guys who was an eyewitness. So that if, if 2 John is to be read with 1 John, which we're suggesting it should be, we recognize that this elder has an authority to speak here because he saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, he touched Jesus. John was one of those guys who was with Jesus on the Mount Trans- Mountain of Transfiguration. Uh, he saw particular miracles like uh, the raising of Jairus' daughter that not everybody else saw. Uh, John has special access to Christ that he is revealing to everyone else. And so when he speaks as the elder, it's this authoritative connection to Christ that gives him um, authority to speak to this church in a way that they're going to sit up and listen, which is, which is to contrast him with false teachers who are going to come along later who, who knew nothing really of an eyewitness account of Jesus, but rather uh, had their own ideas and philosophies uh, that John is going to have to kind of go after. You know, and this is an important piece as we um, read and study and inwardly digest the epistles, because you have other examples of where those words are important. For example, Jude says, I'm the servant of the Lord Jesus. That's an important distinction because he might have been a half-brother and he could have used that. But no, he focused on the servant aspect of it. And Paul, when he writes to Philemon, talks about being a prisoner for the Lord Jesus. And there's just a lot of things that go with that as far as him being in prison and, and, uh, and, and Philemon and Onesimus. I mean, these are important words that amazingly set up the whole time. So you have elder. The next one, a little bit confusing, is to the elect lady and her children. What is, what is John, who is John writing to here? Well, this is, uh, this is kind of a, an interesting one. Uh, I don't believe he's talking to a particular woman whom he loves in truth, uh, who has a bunch of kids. Uh, I, I think here what we want to read is that John is referring to uh, the church. The elect lady is a way of speaking of the church. We get this language everywhere throughout the Bible, whether we're speaking of the church in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Remember the marvelous book, Book of Hosea, uh, where God comes to the prophet Hosea and he says, I want you to take for yourself a wife. And Hosea's like, yes, who is it? And he's like, it's Gomer, the temple prostitute. And Hosea's like, I'm not sure this is a great plan. But nonetheless, uh, he marries her, and Gomer's unfaithful, and yet Hosea uh, forgives her and redeems her and, and, and makes her his own. Um, and so you see this sort of God um, electing a bride for himself in the Old Testament. We, we see similar language in the New Testament uh, when Jesus speaks of his return, uh, the bride 
uh, will be uh, the bridegroom will return for the bride, uh, or or Paul in Ephesians five, which is really one of the more beautiful passages where uh, he talks about uh, the bride being adorned with with righteousness and being made beautiful by Christ to be presented to the Father. Uh, so the church often is referred to as uh, an elect lady or as uh, the bride or something along these lines. So John is addressing the church. Uh, Catholic here, or the Church in general here, and, and the children then of the lady uh, would be referring to, uh, of course, the members of the congregation. So uh, the Church being the elect lady, and the members of the congregation being uh, her, her children. Um, I am also called to mind here this wonderful moment at the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, he, he's dying on the cross, and John, the author of our book here, is, is standing at the foot of the cross with Mary. You, you remember this point? And, and one of Jesus' mm-hmm. last words from the cross is, uh, Woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. And in that moment, the word of the cross, the word from the cross, I should say, uh, creates the church. Uh, here, Jesus from the cross is giving his his mother to, uh, to John and John to his mother. And so John um, is now bid to care for Mary. Now this is this is going to go a little you know a little out of left field here but but I think we can make this connection. Mary begins to serve, I think in the New Testament, as sort of a representative of the church. Uh she stands as a as a sort of uh, a figure for the church uh, because she is the first one to hear of from the angel uh, and respond as the church should respond. The angel comes and says, you're going to be the mother of the Lord. And she says, everything the Lord has commanded, I will do. Uh, she sounds a lot like Abraham, who hears from God and God creates his people through Abraham, uh, who God says, go to this land. And Abraham goes. And angel comes to Mary and says, uh, here's the son. And she says, everything you command me, I will do. Uh, and so now this people of God is being formed uh, beginning with Mary's confession, she becomes an example for the rest of us here uh, to to trust the word of the Lord, to listen to the word of the Lord. Uh, and now John, who is called upon as an apostle to care for Mary, is continuing this work of caring for those whom Mary represents, that is, uh, the church. Uh, I hope that wasn't too uh, roundabout there, but, but I do think there is an interesting connection here, how John is given the responsibility to care for Mary, and though she's very obviously going to be uh, dead by this point, um, he's still caring, uh, still caring for Mary's children, as it were, uh, or the, the, the children who are the church. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense, because you look at as John 1 was faithful until the end. You know, he's the one disciple that followed Jesus until the end of his his crucifixion, which is, um, first of all, gives him some, him some clout as well, that you could yeah. say, I'm the elder, I've seen all these things, and I've been faithful to the end, um, which goes into Revelation talk as well. But but to talk about him caring for Mary, it kind of, it gives a new level for us to think about how John writes to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation also, and then how he writes in John, the Gospel of John, really does give an understanding of a, a, a man who cares about people and it's reflected as how he cares for quote his mother that Jesus has given to him so yeah, yeah. this is a good reminder I mean we could talk about that for a very long time um, but it is a very good connection for us to think about is he is writing as a loving man respecting and and loving women as you said Ephesians 5 talks this way for husbands and wives but also for how we are to love the church as Christ loved the church first. 
So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, there's a lot there in the first two verses. Uh, Lord have mercy. Um, and we move on um, from those first few words. <laughs> and we look at, in whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So he, he connects this idea of love and truth. How would you talk about that? Well, uh, uh, John says that he loves this church in truth, uh, as do all those who know the truth. So the first thing I, I kind of want to uh, uh, point out here um, is that he is reminding the church that it's not alone, uh, that they all stand together and are, are united by something. I love you and the entire body of Christ loves you, and they love you in truth, that there is some truth, some reality that unites them all together. And, and of course, we would say that that, un, that, that that uniting factor is the Lord Jesus himself. If we think of the Lord's words that John is happy to record in John's Gospel, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So these are the people who, in truth, have come to the Father because Christ has come to them. The truth has come to them. It's created faith in their hearts, and they believe it. Uh, To be in the truth, then, is also maybe, I think we could say, another way of saying uh, uh, to be in Christ, to be in the truth, is to be in Christ. And now we have baptismal language. And this becomes very interesting because baptism is that thing that unites the church. We are baptized into one body. So this truth that unites us is that Jesus has baptized us and made us his own, purchased us with his blood. Uh, He who has died and has risen has come uh, by means of his word and and in the water uh, to make us one people. And now as a united people, we are called upon to love and serve one another, um, to to care for the body uh, that we have been made a part of. And so uh, here I think John is uh, reminding them uh, that of this wonderful truth that God is their Savior and their Lord in Christ Jesus, uh, and that they are baptized and beloved, and this is what now drives them to love one another. We love, as he says in, in the first epistle, we love because he first loves us. Yeah, this reminds me as you're talking about the body of Christ goes to uh, Ephesians 4 and uh, 1 Corinthians 12. There's so much connection as we look at these from Paul and John and how they're writing to the church and how the connection of love and truth, that love flows from the truth. Because when you know the way, the truth and the life from there is love. In 1 John 4, you know, and this is love, not that we love, but God first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This just reminds us it all goes back to the cross, which is even better when you think about the connection you're making with John standing at the cross. If anyone knew God's love to the fullest, it would be John as he looked at our Lord dying on the cross. Yes. Any other thoughts from uh, those first two verses for us, Pastor Hitler? It is interesting, too, just real quickly, uh, you referenced the, the connection with Paul there. Remember the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, faith, hope, and love abide, and the, and the greatest of these is love. Uh, and the greatest of these is love is because love is eternal. Faith will become sight, hope will be realized in the return of Christ, but love lasts forever. And isn't it interesting here at the end of verse 2, he says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, that truth is that abides with us forever, is that we are beloved in Jesus Christ. And that is an eternal truth. What a wonderful thing to think about. Amen. Amen to that. Let's go to verse 3. Okay. 
Grace, mercy, and peace be with all, be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Lots of connections. We could talk about all those. We have about two and a half minutes to get through this verse. Uh, any, how do you want to go with this, Pastor? Well, I, I think I'd just like to point out here that this is a, a gracious introduction, uh, that the words coming from John, remember, uh, John does not speak on his own, but he is speaking as an apostle, as you kind of referenced earlier, a, a representative uh, of, of Christ. And so when he speaks words of grace, mercy, and peace, he's not saying something like this, I'm a prophet of the Old Testament coming to forewarn you about the wrath of God that is to come upon you. But rather he's saying, I'm here speaking words uh, that show you of God's favor, grace, show you of God's mercy, his kindness giving uh, toward you, though you deserve the wrath, Christ has taken that for you. Uh, grace, mercy, and, and peace God's reconciled you to himself in Christ Jesus, and there is now peace where there was once war. You have been reconciled to God. Uh, this is all the truth that he's proclaiming from the love of Christ. So it, it's interesting, I think, that when I, I don't know how you begin your sermons, uh, but this is the phrase I like to use when I begin my sermons, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The idea being that the words I'm about to proclaim to you uh, are words from God, and therefore you're good. They're for you, for your mercy, and, and for your salvation. Um, and I think John is, is implying that here as, as we get into the letter. Yeah, I use the same thing for, for my sermon. Uh, one thing that's added here uh, that he says is the Father's Son, you know, through Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. I don't quite say those words, but then he no, says, no. in truth and love. I, I Now I'm thinking how I'm going to try to add that. I mean, like you said, we've been doing this 14 and a half years. Now I'm going to try to add you know, four words, this might not work very well, but but that once again goes to this understanding of what I'm preaching and what John is giving is truth, and it is love because it comes from Christ himself. So as you look at this gracious introduction and the greeting, it sets us up for what he exhorts and encourages the, the elect lady and her children to do, knowing that our identity is founded in Christ because he is the truth, and his love flows upon us. So uh, it's now time for us to take a break. We are studying the book of Second John with Pastor Bob Hiller. We'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And 
Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. We are studying 2 John with Pastor Bob Hiller. Pastor, we have we've made it through three verses, which isn't bad. I'm considering we only have 13 verses to get through here, but the first three were so chock full of God's grace and our Lord Jesus Christ. We couldn't help but take our time. But now as we move forward, he sets it up for us as we know whom we are. You know, we are loved by God and we are ones who have the truth and he has blessed us with grace, mercy, and peace in truth and love. Now he gets to a few new things uh, for us to think about what does this mean. So let's read verses 4 and 5 and see how we are led this morning. Verses 4 and 5. John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So where do you want to start with this, Pastor? Well, uh, earlier we had kind of referenced how uh, the pattern here sounds an awful lot like uh, much of what we hear at the beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, when, when Paul, or excuse me, John is writing to the seven churches. And, and one of the things uh, he says there, I, I'm thinking particularly of the letter he writes to the church in Pergamum, in which he says something like this, I, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So uh, we don't know all the details of that, and obviously this isn't a study on Revelation, uh, but I do want to point out the similarity there, that we find John rejoicing in the faithfulness of the children who are continuing to walk in the truth, and they're not giving in, even in the face of persecution. Like in Pergamum, uh, some guy named Antipas is killed for the faith. It's a very dangerous situation, and yet they do not waver. And so John, I think, when he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, that's what he's talking about. And not just in any truth, but just as we were commanded by the Father. So he's, he's connecting this as sort of your life is continuing to stand firm and faithful to the Word of God. You are uh, living, as Jesus describes, as those who are building their house on the solid foundation and not on the sand. They're continuing to walk in uh, the truth, um, which, is, which is very interesting to me. And I've been thinking about this uh, verse uh, you and I, Brady, we like a thing called law and gospel. Uh, you know, the law, God's commands, uh, the gospel, uh, God's promises. Uh, and sometimes we, we tend to do this with law and gospel, where we'll say something like, uh, the law condemns and the gospel forgives, uh, and therefore you'd, the only word I really have to say to you is a condemning word, unless I'm saying something to you about what Jesus has done for you, which is the only nice thing I'm going to say. But that's not exactly how John does it here. John is rejoicing in the faithfulness of the saints. And, and if we want to push it, I mean, he's, he's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit's uh, faithfulness to the saints and, and helping the, the, how the Spirit causes them to persevere. But John is rejoicing uh, in what the congregation is doing, their faithful walk according to the commands, to the, to the Word of the Father. And, and I've been thinking about this, you know, we, we're living in this time of COVID and frustration, and, and there's, there's so much hand-wringing about what churches should and shouldn't be doing and what the government says churches should and shouldn't be doing, and we pastors are getting so filled with anxiety and frustration, and yet what was blowing me away throughout this time is 
the faithfulness of, of my own congregation, uh, their, their support for me, their, their willingness to be flexible, their understanding of decisions we have to make. And it strikes me that we pastors should probably do a lot more rejoicing in the love we find within the parish. Uh, obviously, there are exceptions, and there are times when the congregation uh, can be difficult for the pastor. And let's be honest, there's times where the pastor can be very difficult for the congregation. Uh, but if the Holy Spirit's working here, and we do belong to love, and we have been baptized and raised to a new life, we're going to find the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, uh, actually at work in, in the parish. Uh, and this is what I think John is rejoicing in, uh, to start off, that, listen, you guys are facing persecution, you're facing hardship, uh, there's all kinds of false teachers around you, and yet you are standing on the Word, and the fruit of the Spirit is at work among you. Um, it, is a, it is a wonderful verse, and really, I think, pastorally, one uh, that I need to think a lot more intentionally about. You know, there's two things that came to mind when you were speaking about this rejoicing, and you're exactly right. We do not rejoice enough about the faithfulness of God's people, um, but it reminds, and there's no but there, actually, it's, we, need, we need to do that. Rejoice, for our Lord has called you by the gospel and enlightened you with your gifts, and the yeah. fruit has been bore in our churches. I mean, in, wonderful, in ways that most people have no idea it's happening, and so we do have to do that. One of the things I've noticed, too, is um, I coached uh, flag football this fall for my son. Uh, my son is uh, 12 years old. And, you know, I played offensive line. So this is like flag football passing league. I have, you know, it's like uh, it's like an offensive lineman trying to learn how to do Pat Mahomes. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> most of the time. But anyways, as we're doing this, every practice, the kids would start with saying they would always kind of highlight who was missing. And like, oh, where's where's Jim or who's it? Where's this guy? And I said, listen, guys, here's what we need to do. We need to give thanks for all of you who are here. And that's something yeah, that I think yeah, is important yeah. too. Is we really get into that in the church too. Well, where is everybody? And like, no, let's give thanks for those who are receiving God's gifts yeah. and allow ourselves to rejoice because you know what? That parking lot was empty an hour ago. Now there's people in that parking lot, even more importantly, in those pews ready to sing praises to our Lord. And so that is one of the, thank you for pointing us in that direction. And also finally, one of the, I mean, this is where I would relate this lady to a parent where one of our biggest concerns, you know, I have four children and I know you have uh, three, correct, um, Bob? Yes. Mm -hmm. And and we are wor I'm worried out of my mind many times about their faith life and their walk with the yes. Lord. And you know, if, if we have our children believe in Christ and are active and walking with the Lord in their life, there's nothing greater. And you can see that with parents who do have children who are active in their faith, and you can see the the angst that happens for those who are not. And so that's where I feel he, John is writing in a way that rejoices, but also admits and points us to the truth of, you know, we put this in God's hands. Those are my reflections on what you're saying. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I, I, it's great you say this, and I think it really gives us to the heart of what John is doing here. I, the other night, I put my kids to bed, and, I, and I'm going out in the living room, and all of a sudden I hear them reading to each other, uh, and my middle boy, his godparents, gave him a Bible, and he's reading uh, the Bible uh, to my youngest before they go to sleep at night. No one told him to do it. No, uh, no instigation. He's just decided now he's going to read scripture and devotion to his brother before he goes to bed at night. And um, mm. God bless my mm. middle son. He's not like um, um, 
obedient very often. So you see this, and it's a wonderful thing. And you look and you go, uh, I'm thankful for his godparents. I'm thankful for some heart the Holy Spirit put in him uh, to get him to do this. And I'm rejoicing that my children are, are reading Scripture and talking about it with each other. This is John's heart. Uh, there's everything in the world pushing against this. There's everything in the world pushing against your people showing up to church on Sunday morning. Um, every message they're hearing, everything. And yet we can rejoice because look who showed up today. Uh, the Spirit is still at work. What a wonderful thing. Yeah, very good. Very good. Amen. Amen. So he also goes from there, so he's rejoicing, and he is speaking about um, walking in the truth. And this is obviously connected throughout verse 5 as well, when he talks about love one another. But tell us a little bit about walking in truth. So walking in truth is a very active-sounding thing. It doesn't mean you understand the truth, but rather you're ordering your life in light of uh, the truth. Uh, think of Paul's language here in Romans 6. Uh, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, that you're, you're living kind of in accordance with what it means to be baptized. Now, we've got to be careful there, because that can very quickly become moralized uh, to say, there's no real sin going on in that congregation, and if you are sinning, then therefore you're not walking in the truth. And that's not the point. Uh, the point is, uh, that you recognize that when there is sin, when the law is preached to you, and you do recognize sin in your life, what do you do with it? Well, if you say you have no sin, you're actually deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in you, he's going to preach in his next letter. Uh, but God, who is faithful and just, will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So what does that mean, to walk in the truth with sin? It means to walk that sin truthfully to God, confess it, and receive the forgiveness of your sins. This is what's taking place in the congregation there. Um, it means to love your neighbor in light of the forgiveness you've received and the vocations that God has placed you in. It means to care for the body of Christ, to continue to give and, and serve and to love and all of these things. And this is just what starts to happen uh, when the Holy Spirit gets working on, on your heart. Uh, when, you, when the Word starts to saturate your brain, good fruit comes, whether you actually see it or not. I mean, it's very conceivable that John says, I rejoice to see you walking in the truth, and they're like, wow. We didn't, we didn't think we were doing that great, <laughs> but John's rejoicing over it. How wonderful. Uh, Luther says it this way. This is also in uh, our formula of Concord, where, where Luther says, Faith is a divine work in us which makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different people, in heart and mind and spirit and all powers. And it brings with it the Holy Spirit. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. Um, and this is, and I, I think this is what what John is saying. Like, look, guys, you're facing a lot of hard stuff. Let me encourage you. The fruit of the Spirit is active. Whether you see it or not, the Holy Spirit is at work among you, and, and, and the good works are taking place there. Your sins are being confessed. Uh, your, your, your people are being loved. You're standing up against false teaching. Um, all these kind of wonderful things. And, you know, one of the things, that, too, this is, goes back to the rejoicing that people come to church but if we actually take a few steps back and watch the mercy that people are extending in their everyday life, I mean, that requires us to sit and listen and to event, not, and just to kind of observe as pastors, but also as other laity, laity as well, um, is to look around and like, wow, look at how much uh, service to the neighbor people are doing from as simple as, for example, uh, a husband whose wife is, has Alzheimer's and because of COVID, this yeah. is an example I know of a, a extended family member who 
takes her out of the nursing home because he literally could not see her, takes her home and cares for her until her last breath. I mean, it's actually emotional to think about is that that's walking in the truth, obviously supporting other things. Um, we're relief in human care and our own synod, uh, Lutheran World Relief, the extent of millions and billions of dollars um, that goes to serving the neighbor. And this is the walking in the truth that we see in our churches, in our lives. As Luther says so well, you know, he says, um, oh, it is a living, busy and active, a mighty thing, this faith. I mean, it's a very endearing thing, he says, and points us to the truth that John um, sees in his day as well. So yep. let's keep moving with that, um, Pastor, is he said, he, he continues on and says, there is a commandment that we have had from the beginning. And this is interesting because often I think we think that love one another kind of showed up in Jesus. And before yeah. that, it was like, what, hate each other? I don't know how they would have thought of it before <laughs> that. Right. But, right. um, but you go back to Leviticus of all, all places where it says the command, love one another. Expand on that a little bit when he talks about this new, not new command, but his command. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is really one of John's just favorite things to talk about. He never tires of speaking of love uh, in the, the body of Christ. And uh, Jesus will talk this way as well. Like, I'm, I'm not commanding you something new. Uh, this, is, this is from the beginning. Uh, now, think of this in terms of the beginning in Genesis. Uh, God creates Adam. And he gives him the garden and says to him, essentially, take and eat. This is my garden given for you. It's this wonderful thing. Uh, and, and Adam is lonely there. And so God creates Eve, and there now is love. Uh, Adam has someone to care for. Eve has someone to care for. Uh, they have a garden to tend to together. And this love is not just a feeling of emotion, which I'm sure we've all heard before, uh, but rather it is a very, uh, very active disposition towards someone else in which you give of yourself and sacrifice for your, of yourself for the sake of the other. Uh, before the fall, this is, this is joyful. Now it's so much burdensome uh, to a point that sometimes we could even say to love your neighbor is a cross that you bear. Um, and yet I think about that example you just used. It's a cross and that it's painful, and yet that husband caring for his wife with Alzheimer's, uh, he wouldn't do anything else. They're, like you're, you're looking at that, he, he's not going to do anything else. That's exactly what he needs to do, and he's proud to do it. Uh, and he should be, because that's, that's what love uh, does. Jesus says it this way in the Gospel of John. Um, um, after he washes the disciples' feet, he says, Look, I've laid an example out for you. As I've done for you, so you do for one another. Uh, greater love is no one than this, he'll say in another place, that, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And so this is what it means uh, to love, to continue to sacrifice and to give of yourself for the sake of the neighbor. This is nothing new. In fact, it is how we were designed to exist, and it's sin that comes and corrupts the, cor- the, the creation uh, of that relationship. Uh, love is how God created the world to operate. And as it says, God is love, and that points us yeah. to there once again. So let's keep going here, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as have you heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. I wanted to separate into that one because he speaks a little bit differently. In First John, and this is love, doesn't point to we our walk, but it points to Jesus. But here, yeah. and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, because he'll also say, this is love, uh, uh, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And then he'll also say, uh, we love because he first loved us. And this is always the thing to remember, is that God's love does not depend on my love for him. Uh, His love is always first, and he comes, and the love he gives us 
creates love uh, among us. It's a creative love. It's a creative word. This is the way our God operates. And so when he speaks commandments, even here, uh, again, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, for example, that is a beautiful picture of love. Now, we don't always see it that way because it's accusing us and condemning us in our sins. But uh, children honoring their parents is a beautiful thing that I pray one day I get to experience. Uh, Husbands loving their wives uh, and wives loving their husbands, uh, sacrificing for the sake of the marriage. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Working hard for your neighbor and not stealing from them or causing them bodily harm, as we think in murder and steal and these things. Uh, To not covet, to not uh, speak ill of others. That's actually beautiful, and it's an act of love to speak words of kindness where you want to speak words of bitterness. Um, And so the commandments teach us how to love. Now, they don't empower us to do it. No command could. Uh, That only comes as the fruit of the gospel. Uh, But that gospel is that God has loved us in Christ Jesus, and Christ has sacrificed himself on the cross for the sake of our salvation. Um, Even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you start to realize that and how much you've been given. Um, You start to see things through the lens of love, and you start to act in terms of love. Uh, and this is how that kind of, that kind of how that works. Right. And beginning of verse six, he says, and this is love. And at the, at, at the end, he says, as you have heard from the beginning. So he's speaking to these Christians as this has been our focus from the beginning is the love of God for you. You know, like you said, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so let's walk in it. Let's do this. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, uh, my son had a social studies uh, test today, and we're studying it, and you just kind of get to that point where you say, let's just do this. Let's just do yeah. this. Um, of course, there's a lot of law in social studies tests, um, but uh, <laughs> it was definitely, let's just do this. So let's continue on to verses 7 and 8, where it speaks a little bit about why is this a challenge to walk with the Lord? Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves, so you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. I would say, Pastor, if we could just take a couple minutes with this, maybe two minutes, and dig into this, and what is he saying? I'm going to take about 40 minutes. I'm just kidding. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot actually here. Uh, But again, now going back to that connection with Revelation, we see there's always an attack on the church. Uh, What is is Luther's line? I think he said this, wherever Christ builds a church, there the next door the devil builds a chapel. Uh, The church is always under attack, and there's false teachers. And, And this false teaching is not just a doctrinal issue that they got the answers wrong on the test. To deny that Christ has come in the flesh is to deny the love of God for us. And if we do not have that, and this is why it's so important that we understand the love of God comes before our love for God or for each other. Um, God comes to us in Christ Jesus, and he dies a bloody physical death on the cross. There's a, there's a, there's a teaching going around at this time in, in Ephesus. And that comes from uh, uh, a guy named Plato. Now, Plato's not the heretic. Plato lived hundreds of years before this. But uh, Plato taught this. Uh, 
created stuff is less than the ideal spiritual stuff in the netherland world out there somewhere. Okay, so there's a shadow of perfection, or there's a reality of perfection, and we live in the shadows. By the time you get to uh, John's day, that was being taught that uh, the spiritual stuff is good stuff, and the created physical stuff is bad stuff. So if you say God is found in the flesh of Jesus Christ, spitting on mud to clean people's eyes and bleeding on a cross, people are going to say, that's nuts. God could never be connected with physical stuff. But if that's the case, then God isn't our Savior. If God isn't physically dying on the cross, if he isn't physically walking out of the tomb as a 100% human being, um, then our salvation is lost because Christ offers up his life as a human, as his own personal sacrifice, where he dies for the sins of humanity. Only a human can die, one, and only a human can die for the sins of humans. So Jesus comes and offers up his life as that sacrifice. It must be a completely human life, but it's not going to impact everybody unless he's also fully God. Um, if it's just a perfect person who dies, good on him. Uh, but since he's God, his his sacrifice is enough to pay for the sins of everyone. Uh, our teacher on this is the great Athanasius uh, in his wonderful work on the Incarnation, if you want to do more work on it. Uh, but to deny the coming of Christ in the flesh is to, deny our, is to deny our salvation. And then, if we start to deny that Christ comes in the flesh, we start to deny the goodness of creation at all. And we start to say things like, I don't need to care for my neighbor, because it's all kind of a shadow anyways. I don't need to care for the creation. It's all kind of a shadow anyways. I'm just going to kind of live my life, uh, find the ideas that make me comfortable, and not worry about the suffering and the pain I see all around me because it's all transitory. Uh, so and, this and matters a great deal. Absolutely. And and to think about John, too, standing at the cross for them to say, no, 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 Jesus only came spiritually. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not true. As, as um, John is watching a spear go into the side and blood and water <laughs> pour out, and he's like, yeah, this is all just kind of a spiritual experience. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Awesome. I'm feeling yeah. kind of weird here. Yeah. Anyways, so... You know, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to talk about the Antichrist, because it probably is something people want to look at, but it has to be quick. So go ahead. Okay, you got it. So the Antichrist, uh, don't read this. Notice what he says, that the Antichrist is at work in that moment. So when we talk about the Antichrist, it's only here and in First John, I believe, that the phrase is even used. And when John refers to it, he's not talking about this terrifying end times guy who's going to come in and, and uh, uh, take over the world with a one world government or something like this. But what he's talking about is uh, a, an influential teacher who is coming in and undermining the teachings of Christ. He's going against truth and love for the sake of self-glory. Uh, this is a spirit that has poisoned the church uh, already, we see, from the time of the New Testament. Um, and so uh, we just have to be aware of that. This is not some bizarre, uh, freaky end times prophecy here. John's just talking about a false teacher who's gained a lot of influence. Absolutely. Let's continue on. We'll go 9 through 11. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, and if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." For about a minute um, here, Pastor, what is he talking about with abiding, abiding? So it means to just stick to the teachings of Christ, uh, to hold on to what he said, to trust what he's done, uh, not to waver and bring in new and false uh, creative teachings that might be more interesting or more even believable necessarily, but simply to trust the Word. And if anybody tries to come in and do otherwise, don't receive them, because they're trying to take you away from Jesus. 
And that's an important thing for us all to think about and to ask, and this is like um, um, Solomon when he is speaking and God says, what do you want? You know, when he becomes king and he's, and he's kind of like, well, I need understanding of good and evil. And that goes with that too. We all have to be able to discern yeah. what is the, the kind of people that we need to be around to stay with the Lord. Because it's very clear in these passages here that you can walk away. I mean, he's not telling you yeah. to abide because you want, can't, it's impossible for you to fall away. You can fall away. Um, can you speak a little bit to that as far as walking away and, and guarding ourselves? Yeah, the, we don't believe something like this, that every time you sin, you lose your salvation, and you can lose and regain your salvation 16 times before lunch or something like that. Uh, but we do believe that faith is under assault. Now, Paul is very clear. Nothing in all of creation is going to separate you from the love of God. And yet at the same time, he's equally clear that we should not become proud lest we fall, much like the Israelites in the wilderness. And so the point here is simply to say we need to understand that God's Word alone is the truth, and we are not strong enough apart from that Word. That Word sustains us. That Word keeps us in. It's the preaching of the Word, the administration of the sacraments. These are the things that sustain us in our faith. It's not our knowledge or our wisdom or our work. Uh, And so uh, the, the Christian life, the baptized life, is one of defending yourself against anyone who would seek to take that away from you. And when you let your guard down and think, I don't need the Word, I don't need the sacraments, I can do this all by myself, I'm cool, uh, no big deal, watch out, because Satan is, is happy to hear that you want to be away from the Word. Absolutely. So as you look at the, we're going to look at the, fir- the last few verses here. Um, and I think let's go right into it, because I think it has a very good uh, thought for us today. Verses 12 and to the end of Second John. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. He ends this with some very um, personal words here. How would you describe those, and how does that relate to the church today? Oh, everybody who has not been able to go to church because of COVID, it knows John's longing right here, right? I mean, everyone knows online church is fine, but it is not the same as sitting next to your brothers and sisters in Christ and receiving the gifts. And John knows it too. He's like, look, I like writing to you. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired letter. But, oh, dude, I want to preach, and I want to be preaching with you, and I want to be with you guys. Every pastor who's missing their congregation knows this longing. Uh, I don't think John said, oh, dude, for what it's worth. Nonetheless, uh, John is, is missing the preaching of, of sitting and listening and laughing with those who laugh and weeping with those who weep. Um, uh, it's, it's a painful thing to him. And, and this is why we long not just to you know, rejoice in the house of the Lord together, but for the resurrection, when all of this which is separated will finally be reunited and we will be together as one. Uh, what, what a joy that will be. But I think that's John's heart right here, is he wants to be back with the saints. And boy, don't we understand that right now. I'm into that. And this connects to everything that we are as a church, people together as the body of Christ, as we mentioned yeah. before, all not necessarily playing a part. As a, you know, I mean, it is a playing a part, but it's being together and knowing, first of all, we give thanks that we're in this faith, two, that we pray for those who are not, and we ask that the Lord would continue to guard and keep us in his um, fold, you know, um, and yeah. and you look at this, you, you mentioned this, and I'm just going to read it for us, is is the, the church's one foundation has great words that relates to this passage from 2 John um, in verse 
uh, excuse me, stanza three of the Trishmoa Foundation. Though with a scornful wonder the world sees her oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up how long, and soon the night of weeping shall be their morn of song. Last words, Pastor Hiller, after hearing those and wanting to sing it. Well, isn't that great? Uh, that that uh, the saints, uh, their watch are keeping. Think of that with verse thirteen. The children of the elect sister greet you. Uh, mm. The church from around the world, the church Catholic or universal is, is the way we might say it. Uh, not only that, but the church triumphant is is greeting you. The church triumphant welcomes you and loves you and longs for the day to be reunited uh, with you. Uh, we have a foretaste of that when we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, when we gather with all the saints around the very same Jesus. Uh, but boy, once that faith is sight, it is going to be something. I'm into that. Well, past, Pastor H- Bob Hiller, this is our ending. So Pastor Bob Hiller is a pastor at Community Lutheran Church in Escondido in San Mar- Marcos, California, helping us to look at the book of St. John today. Pastor Hiller, thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me. It was a great time. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and may the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.